I should say too, you know, just anyone who's listening, it's not that, you know, you, you find your purpose and your light and then all of the struggle goes away, you know, and, and, you know, mental illness leaves the building. It's not like that, but it's just so much easier to, you know, implement your daily practice to, to, to stay in the light because Mm. you're on the right path. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. Sarah Evans, thank you so much for being here. I am honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Wow. Well, I'm honored you're here. We have a similar, uh, we're, I think we're like-minded and like-hearted in Absolutely. many ways yeah. uh, and a very similar purpose. Mm-hmm. And we're pursuing that purpose with passion. Okay. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your story and then also how you became the founder of Well Aware. Yeah, that's that's kind of a long story. Okay, great. We've got time. I have the abbreviated version. Um, I, and I find myself talking a lot these days about this journey because when I when I look back in, in retrospect, it all kind of makes sense. Okay. But then on the path, I had really had no idea what was happening. Um, I will try to keep it succinct, but I, I was actually born in Australia in a very uh, rural place in New South Wales in a hippie community. Okay. And we lived off the grid. We had no running water, electricity. And for the first five years of my life, that's how I lived. And I have the fondest of memories, if they are memories or just stories and pictures. But um, I think that's an interesting um, sort of foundation that I had, um, given now the type of work that I do, international yeah. development work in the in very the most rural places of the world, right? Um, where I'm very comfortable. Um, where, yeah? How would you get water growing up? We there was a river right right next by the Kalang River. Okay. And actually, the Kalang communities somewhat well-known in, in the circles. Um, this was in the 70s um, where um, there were expatriates left and right and down under and other places as well because of all of the um, the political turmoil and, you know, at, at the time seemingly unusual violence happening in the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Around the, the war specifically, the Vietnam War. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so, so to collect water growing up, you'd You'd take a bucket, a jerry can. What would you do yes. to go to the river? Yes, they, we we had buckets, and we wow. would go back and forth. And we had a can, a, a tank, you know, where we would keep the water. And um, we had an outhouse, so we weren't flushing a potty. Wow! So we only had the water that we needed for our garden, mm-hmm. for our food, and then for our sanitation needs and drinking. Yeah. So, would I be correct in saying every time you needed to take a bath or a shower, you were getting water from the river? Yeah, it was river yeah. water. Yeah, okay. and and baths were kind of special, I guess. We were in the river every day. As yeah, kids, yeah. You know. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And so that has translated into your passion now, helping people that are doing very similar stuff today. It's one piece of it. Yes, yeah. I think so. I okay. Think so. And Sorry, continue your story. Oh, yeah. Well, um, sort of like making a puzzle that comes together. Um, so I went, we, we ended up in a small town in East Texas where I, I grew, went to school and, and grew up and then to university here at, in Austin at UT. Um, I majored in civil engineering. Um, I didn't end up gradu graduating in civil engineering, although I, I did well. I found myself drawn to speech and public speaking, so I, mm. I majored in that. And then I went on to law school where I focused on environmental law. And then I even clerked for the EPA Region 6 in Dallas in their clean water department. <laughs> and so all of these things sort of make sense when I look back on them. But it wasn't until several years after law school that a friend approached me and asked if I would help put together a fundraiser to replace some of the livestock that were dying in this Maasai village in Kenya. Mm. She had family ties to that specific region and, you know, had, had this passion to help. Um, and I had the legal you know, savvy to be able to put together tax-deductible donations. And I got really interested in this project, um, I think. I felt, I think I felt like I, I fit in with this particular um, type of work or char charity, I guess. I hate the word charity, but it, charity. Yeah. Um, but on, but even more than that, I thought, what if, you know, what if, what if instead of raising money to replace the cattle and the goats, which are vital for the, those, these types of communities? Yeah. Um, the, the, Especially the Maasai being like basically shepherds. They're pastoralists, yeah. exactly. So um, that the cattle and the goats are the way that they sustain their families. Right. Um, and so the, uh, but I thought, but the, the the reason that the cattle and goats are dying because at the same time, one of Kenya's most significant droughts was happening. And the cattle and goats were dying because there was no water. And then there was this widespread suffering across this community, the entire region, the entire country, because of this lack of water. About what year was this? 2007. Okay. Um, and I said, well, you, well, why don't we, it's crazy, but why don't we instead raise money to drill a well? And then we can solve this problem with the livestock in this community. But look at all of these other, you know, incredible things that we can make happen with this source of water. Yeah. Um, and I talked my small group of friends into doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it can be kind of convincing, I guess. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. but, <laughs> but meanwhile, I had no idea what I was doing, right? Like, yeah. uh, I grew up in East Texas, so I know what an oil rig looks like, but not a rig that drills for water. Um Turns out they're kind of similar, but, um, but so we did. We proceeded. Um, I we filed the paperwork in 2008. It took a couple of years to meet for me to have a side hustle that was figuring out this project. But we, lo and behold, had a really kooky fundraiser, which we still do today. Okay. In 2009, we flew to Kenya in January 2010, and we drilled that well. And I readily admit now that we got darn lucky. <laughs> it was a great well. Um, it's still providing water to that community today, 12 years later. Um, but I was on that drill site um, for several days, and er everything was just so new to me. I, I'm not a stranger to international travel um, and uh, being in places that don't provide a lot of amenities. <laughs> but the, the community dynamics and um, seeing how that in the in the eyes of these people they knew how this this new well was going to change their life mm -hmm. 
um, and me meeting the children and understanding their their struggles, but how that was going to change because of they can go to school. The wives have an option to go to work. Yeah, then yeah. they have an income, and it, yeah. it impacts gender and equal equality. And then you know, girls get to stay in school once they hit puberty and they start menstruating. You know, because then there's going to be water at the school; they don't have to fall behind and drop out. Um, all of these things I learned all at once, and so you can imagine it was pretty overwhelming. Um, also very humbling, but it was also uh, the trigger for me that completely transformed my life. Mm. It was the moment that day, that day on the on, on the drill site when the well started first coming out, and I'll, I'll tell a little story if if you, if you don't mind. But there yeah. was a little girl on the drill site uh, that was sort of following me around the whole time, and it was, we were out there for three. Your shadow. Days. She was my shadow, and she was precious and didn't speak any English at all because she was, wasn't going to school at the time. Um, and she looked to be about five or six. I found out that she was about um, seven or eight years old, but she was just malnourished and she was mm. tiny. Um, and when we, you know this, when you're on a, a drill site and you first ha you have your first water strike, yeah. it kind of starts to spew if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, her eyes lit up and her whole body language changed and she was saying, Maji, Maji. Yeah. Water in Water. Swahili, and I said, "No, not yet, not yet." She was running up to go um, drink it and play in it. Um, but then, you know, finally, the end of the day when we started um, flushing the well, and the drillers gave us the go ahead to get a little bit of the water, I filled up a really big one of those empty liter bottles of water we had had in our van, and I, I handed it to her, and I picked her up and I held her, and she drank it in one what seemed like one big gulp. She just drank, mm. and I was holding her, and I could. I don't know, I could just kind of feel her relief, and I I just knew in that moment that my life would have a very different path from, from that point on. How old were you about then? I was um, not that young, 31, 30, 31, 32. And yeah. up until that point, say from maybe 20, 21, we're getting out of school. Yeah. Did you feel that... A, a, ever a similar sense of purpose or was this that moment no this was the moment and yeah. it, I, and were you searching for it like actively searching for it or it just kind of happened i wasn't searching for it i didn't think it existed and i'll i'll, hmm. I'll tell you this too i've only recently started talking about this but from around my teen years i've i've had some on and off pretty significant struggles with depression and anxiety yeah like many um, people do. Many part, people part do. Part of this podcast, Overcome. Yeah, We've overcome 100% of our darkest days. Yes. And how do we rise up and overcome yes. life's greatest challenges? Yeah. Because they're going to come. and Inevitably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I did not. So I was, I had programmed myself. This is not my parents' fault. You know, they were hippies <laughs> for me. You know, they really wanted me to just be happy. Um, but I, I really decided for myself that success was you know, get, graduating from law school, you know, being paid well, taking care of myself and, you know, being able to take care of my own family and not rely on anybody else for that. Um, and I was on that path, but I was not okay, right? And, um, you know, had some really great therapists on and off. And, you know, I've, I've been on and off of anxiety medication since I was about 22 years old. Um, but it just didn't feel to me, this is an individual experience, but for, for me, it didn't feel like it was worth it. <laughs> mm. um, 
it was all on track, but I, I just couldn't, I could not be sad. Um, and so when I, I actually, I feel like I lost a few years of my life because I was just sort of in limbo. Like I knew I was supposed to take the next step and I was supposed to do this, but I was phoning it in a lot of the time. I was drinking way too much. Um, and not really taking care of myself in any way, shape, or form. And so when I spoke a minute ago about that moment on the drill site, it that's when everything did click for me. Mm. And that's when I thought, I do have a purpose and this is it. I mean, it looked exactly like this, you know, 10 years from now, and I get that. But I think I figured out where all of my skills and um, where my heart belongs and uh, the strengths that I have to offer to to any path or company or purpose, it, it's here. And I, I, th- I think I just found it and I'll pr- do whatever I need to do to to, to create that path. <laughs> I yeah. did some crazy stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I made it work. Sounds like, sounds like in that moment, it was the spark plug to now what you've built being an engine to continue to to provide the same moment that did that you did for that little girl yeah. now for many, many others and um, spark plug, but really just, uh, the match yeah. to, to that your purpose, the, the, the fire that you have now. Yeah. I think that's yeah. really interesting. And you said that in those moments of anxiety or depression, you feel like you lost maybe a few years. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, by pursuing this purpose, like you've you've maybe gained a few years, or or made up for those lost years, or that those were actually worth it, so that you could That's, appreciate these years now. You know, nobody's ever asked me that. I guess I don't talk about it much, but I've never thought of it that way. And you might be right. Uh, that's really interesting. Maybe so. Um, I, but I can't say within that time I was really um, educating myself or you know, taking anything in that would help to lead me to where I was. But perhaps I did need that extended period of introspection (laughs) Um, and to not keep moving forward on the path that I knew was wrong for me or leveling up on that path, rather. So maybe so. Maybe I need to forgive myself because I still beat myself up about that. Yeah, I think think the hardest person to forgive is oftentimes yourself. Always. And for me, I've gone just so I could share a little i've had some very dark moments i'm a two-time suicide survivor i've gone to treatment twice in my life and the first time i went to treatment i thought it was a punishment Mm. that that i'd wasted these certain amount of years Mm -hmm. i had attempted suicide this many times and so this was kind of i went to treatment almost to punish myself to beat it out of me but the second time that i went Mm -hmm. i didn't see it as a punishment i saw it as an opportunity and so in only 30 days I made up for, I got, I got more in the first five days than I did 90 days at the first treatment center because I had the wrong attitude and perspective, yeah, it's everything. but now I can look back on both those experiences mm. and be like, I needed them both. Mm-hmm. I needed the one where I didn't want to go, didn't want to be there, didn't put any effort in, yeah. um, and thought of it as a punishment to realize the opportunity I had the second time I went. And Amazing. so, yeah, I think, I think without the darkness, we don't appreciate uh, the light as much in those good times. That is absolutely true. That's true. And I, 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 I should say too, you know, just anyone who's listening, it's not that, you know, you, you find your purpose and your light and then 
all of the struggle goes away, you know, and, and you know, mental illness leaves the building. It's not like that, but it's just so much easier to, you know, implement your daily practice to, to, yeah. to stay in the light because mm. you're on the right path. This episode of Overcome with Justin Wren, that's me. And oh, Amy sitting <laughs> over here is brought to you by Onnit. Onnit.com slash overcome. And what did we have for breakfast this morning? Because we were uh, running a little late. What have I had every day Since really are them? the Onnit protein bites, which protein I think are bites new. Are delicious. And I think I'm addicted. I Incredible. love them. I love that there's six grams of protein, so I can grab two. Mm-hmm. And I feel really good about it. Yeah, and they're small. They're small, but they're or nuts. They're bites, bite size. Bite size for they're you, maybe, but size. I can take probably six bites in them. Yeah. And so it's about well, it's just the not size. a huge protein bar that's hard to carry right. around. Like right. you can pack it in your purse, your fanny mm-hmm. pack. You can carry it around, and you know whenever you need it, you got a little pick me up, and you're not going to be hungry. It, it's like a hunger buster. It but is not from Dairy Queen, from On It, right? That and, you feel good about with yeah. six grams of protein in every one. Right, and I love their cookies and cream. That one's been my favorite. S'mores been really good. S'mores has been my have, favorite. Really, I yes. like the cookies and cream more. Mm-hmm. But S'mores is really, really good. And so what else do they have? They have uh, peanut butter, dark chocolate. Mm. They do. They have coconut cashew with dark chocolate, cookie dough with dark chocolate. Somebody likes dark chocolate, and I appreciate that. And can we add that they're all gluten-free? So for you in particular. I have to have that because Mm -hmm. I am celiac. If you didn't know that, I am gluten intolerant and not just intolerant. I literally have celiac. And so I get sick from a lot of the stuff on the market that's processed in a manufacturing facility Mm -hmm. with this, that, or the other. And honest stuff, you just know that you're getting the highest quality ingredient imaginable, possible on the market. And you're going to feel great. You're going to feel great about what you're eating and mm-hmm. um, any in- of the products. It includes more than 60 different plants. It's high in fiber and good flavor along with that good source of protein. Yeah. So try yourself some of these protein bites. Mm-hmm. They're so good for you. I think they might even be available at walmart right now but they're available on amazon they're available on on its website so please go get it there and use overcome as the code to save yourself some money thank you for being here and we will now return to the show when you say daily practices um i'm stealing from amy here because she's always like wanting to know the habits the practices (laughs) like the principles things like that so what's something now that has really helped you maybe daily habits or practices you know um i'm i'm also now a a single mother and it's just me and my daughter um we live in a little condo and um she you know she sort of forces me to stay on track and you know i want so much to um uh, help her help her understand that just as a just one little tiny individual you can still make a difference in the world and really need to need want to set that tone for her especially growing up in the world that she's growing up in now um uh but beyond that and and to be able to maintain that um i'm a very early riser i get up around 4 4 30 um so i can just kind of sit and meditate for about 30 minutes and drink my coffee I like to be ahead of the day mm. so I can own my day and the day doesn't own me. If I wake up late for some reason, which is, doesn't really happen anymore because I'm so programmed, I just feel, I feel so flustered. I just I, can, I just can't get a handle of the day at all. It doesn't just sort of lose the day. Um, and then I do yoga. Nice. I'm just at home. Um, 
And uh, then I get in the shower, get myself ready. Then I help get my daughter ready and make sure she has everything. How old is your daughter? She's 10 now. She's 10? She's rad. Yeah. I have a Swahili proverb you can tell her. And you might have heard it. But uh, talking about making a difference. Yes. It says if you feel like you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a closed room with a mosquito. <laughs> and uh, and I like that one because you, you've you been to a lot of the same places I've been. Know about and, the mosquitoes. Yeah, know about the mosquitoes. And then for me, I've had malaria three times. Oh, and so wow. I'm I'm allergic to the prophylaxis and the pills. And, and so I'm, I get sick. Wow. So the first time, though, a mosquito that weighs less than a gram, right? Um, and me being a professional fighter, uh, in three fights, I fought a guy six foot seven, six foot eight, skipped six foot nine, and fought a guy six foot ten. Whoa. <laughs> I won all those fights, all in the first round. And those were huge opponents. But a little bitty mosquito, gotcha. less than a gram, put 65 to 70% of my bloodstream being parasites. I, I was vomiting red and green, blood and bile. I lost my peripheral vision. Whoa. It was tunneled vision. It was black. And in front of me was blurry and I was hearing Whoa. like, it sounded like a bee's hive in my, in my brain. Like just my ears were constantly buzzing. My veins were collapsing. They couldn't get IVs in me. Were you overseas or are you here? I was. Okay. I was in Congo. Um, and then they yeah. evac me out, just uh, MAF pilot and me um, to Uganda. And they pulled me out of the plane. I don't even really remember it, but they pulled me from the plane. I didn't touch the tarmac into... Uh, in an ambulance. It wasn't really an ambulance, but it was in, mm -hmm. in Entebbe. And yeah, I just remember that. And I, I, I heard that Swahili proverb after that. <sighs> I think it was actually within the month I was recovering from, mm -hmm. from malaria. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's so good. Because mm -hmm. a little mosquito will, will interrupt our podcast right here, yeah, right? Sure, if yeah. it's buzzing on me, you, Amy, yeah. like it makes a difference. And so how much more of a difference can your little bright light, mm -hmm. 10 years old, what's her name? Violet. Violet. Mm -hmm. How much more of a difference can Violet make in the world, yeah. even right now, than a little mosquito? I love or, that. Yeah. The power of the small. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll, I'm going to tell her about today. I'm going to pick her up. Okay. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also said you didn't like the word charity. That's correct. I don't either. Great. Yeah. I, I figured. I said as our, uh, kind of our nonprofit motto, at least internally, is um, charity can be great, mm. but opportunity is always better. Mm -hmm. And so- mm -hmm. We don't really give out charity mm -hmm. um, because we've seen it hurt and cripple and and uh, enable or, or whatever you want to say where that's not what they're looking for. Not. They don't want to hand out. They want to hand up. Mm -mm. And mm -hmm. they'll settle for a handout if that's the only oh, thing available obviously. to them. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Anybody will. If you're desperate, you'll yeah. settle for anything. Yeah. But that's, that's taking hope away. And mm -hmm. in the water sector, this was the statistic. You could probably tell me if it's updated now. But just in the continent of Africa, there was over 230,000 broken water wells, mm -hmm. which is billions of wasted charitable yeah. dollars yeah. because they weren't investing into the locals and yeah. weren't equipping them with the tools or educating them with yeah. the knowledge. Yeah. It was disempowering to yeah. them. To say the least. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know of another study, but this is a little bit dated too, but they evaluated um, multiple water systems across East East Africa specifically, um, and only 40% 40 40 of them were functional. Right. Um, and that's not okay. You it's know? not 60%. 60%. Not working. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm writing an article right now actually on charity versus empowerment. I also mm. don't love the word empowerment, but it Can we go into that? Resonates. Because I've said, mm -hmm. because I've repeated what 
you know, sometimes broken English or Ugandan English, mm-hmm. or it, it gets lost in translation where something here in the U.S. has started, I've noticed in like the last year, year and a half, where people are like, oh, we don't like that word empowering. It means you have the power and that they don't. And then I'm like, well, but this is the language they use. We want to be empowered. We want to be educated and mm. equipped and all this stuff. So it's kind of a word that they, I've seen my team's champion. Mm. And I don't know if it's come from my language, but I think it's from theirs asking to be empowered. Oh, yeah. And then so but w- what's your perspective on that word? That's an interesting perspective. You mentioned I've not heard that one, although it doesn't surprise me. People really want to break apart semantics these days. Yeah. And I, yeah, like, <laughs> they're I, not worried about that word there. I don't know. I, I The reason I'm not fond of empowerment is because it's overused. You know, it's yeah. a buzzword like sustainable, sadly, mm-hmm. right? Because we can't really use them anymore and really get our our point across. Yeah. But because everyone's using it now, and but it maybe is. not doing it. That's exactly. Yeah, right. I, I see that. It's empty. Yes. Um. But empty empowerment. Well. Yeah. yeah. But for for me, I think of empowerment as is me not having any power. What power do I have? I don't. I don't know nearly as much as they know about yeah. their direction and their de- potential for development. Their culture, their community, all that. Yeah, they really have the power to give us information about the resources that they lack. And their plans for prosperity, and then we just plug in the resources that aren't there, and then we, you know, we trigger their their power, right? We're the catalyst yes. for their power. They already have the power; they yeah. just need a few more resources to be able to use it. Interesting stuff, yeah. But um, so I so I still use it because it is the word that I mean to use, um, uh, especially if I'm comparing it to charity, which, like you say, is too often, more often than not these days, a hand. Out in a Band-Aid fix, mm. which is doing more of a disservice to these communities than it is a service. Can we talk about that for mm-hmm. a little bit, like charity yeah. and opportunity or however you would say it? Because for me, when people say, oh, you, you have to like the word charity and charitable giving and charity this, and I'm like, I just personally feel charity should be reserved um, for moments or situations or circumstances like war, famine, Natural disaster, yeah. Um, maybe, uh, maybe people with disabilities. But oftentimes, some of our guests that have been on here, our first guest, Nick Santidastaso, the the perfect first guest for me, born with one arm, with one finger, and no legs, right? And he is a guy that says the greatest disability is a poor mindset, is a mm-hmm. bad mindset, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want charity. He wants to find out how to do it on his own. Yeah. So. I think certain times, maybe people that can't help themselves, right? Then you come in and help um, in charity that way. Well, and I think what you're talking about is disaster response. Yes. It's disaster relief. And that has to be charity because you are trying to, you know, stop the bleeding. Yeah. Um, But that's a very different type of philanthropy than what you and I do. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know the difference. And what would you say we do instead of charity or what are we addressing? Is it poverty? Is it development? Uh, development? It's yeah. development work, yeah. right? So, you know, and again, everyone will say they're doing development work. Now there's the international development space, and now it, that means anything and everything. But true development means you're providing something that is a catalyst for actual development yes. <laughs> over time. And so, and that's another thing that people get sick of me hearing internally is results over time. Mm. You know, is this in line with our mission to make sure that we're getting the results that we are telling these communities and our donors? that will be those results over time. So it doesn't mean that once the water starts coming out of the well, we've been successful. Mm. To to the contrary, right? That's really just the beginning of yeah. um, a long-term 
plan. It doesn't mean long-term and frequent intervention because we do a lot of training and set up up front to create self-sustaining um, water committees and water systems. Um, <laughs> but we don't leave. Yeah. Right. Um, Self-sustaining water committees, which I know that that right there is very unique in the space. We do that as well. But yeah. the, the, yes, um, I just find it so, I mean, it, at times I've found it so disheartening. One of my last trips back, I pull up to a gas station and there are, if you think of like a, a five that comes up on a, uh, like when you roll a dice, yes. five, mm -hmm. there's four uh, gas pumps mm -hmm. in the center of those four gas pumps is a water well. And there's a line that's leaving, like there's cars pulled up, but there's a line in between these cars that are filling up of all these school children oh, that are there filling up their, their jerry cans. Now off to the right is their nicer bathrooms that you pay a little bit of you gun and shillings for. Mm -hmm. Then there uh, on the left, there's the latrines that you don't pay anything for. Mm -hmm. And then behind the, fuel station, the gas station is a trash dump, um, where people are throwing out all sorts of crazy stuff. This is in Uganda. Yes. Right on the border of Congo. Wow. And I forget the sign of what organization did it and I shouldn't name them even if I knew yeah. it, but also the, I just tried to have a simple conversation with the owner of the gas station and mm. saying, everybody's in line for this. He's like, yeah, it brings business. You know, we partnered with this nonprofit. Oh, my it's, gosh. It brings business because they come in and they, uh, for lunch or before mm -hmm. school, after school, and they'll right. come buy biscuits or right. whatever it is. And I was just like, wow. And he goes, and it's clean. Look at oh. it. It's clean. Holding it up. And it looks clean to your eye. Now. But yeah. you absolutely know if you did a water test, like that's so polluted. Dangerous. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And just seeing the broken wells and everything else. So you guys are so different. Mm -hmm. And... What's your organization? Where can people find it? And then um, how can people support? But why they should support yeah. is because y'all aren't operating at 60% failed wells. Right. You guys are at 100%. 100%. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. Years in. Yeah. <laughs> Not for lack of blood, sweat, and tears, for sure. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name, we built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month. And that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic. Putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Join our fight club. 
Yeah. yeah. You asked me earlier if we, if I feel like I've gotten back some years, you know, once I've, I found my light. And I probably so, but also, you know, I bet you know this work ages you fast. Yeah, sure. It doesn't, it's absolutely worth it because I feel like um, I'm much more uh, fulfilled um, human and empowered myself, I guess. But uh, it, it's hard work. Um, and so for us at Well Aware, um, this is our, our non profit side we also have another side now too that i'll touch on but um so well well beyond, beyond. Mm-hmm. um so it's when i first started doing this work i said i had no idea what i was doing that was true we got lucky on the first well but on that first trip and the second i really um i am embedded myself in these communities and i studied i love to study and learn um i studied why all these water systems were failing and what the communities were saying went wrong and started doing the work opposite to that (laughs) and ended up putting together a model that is um, quite successful now. I'm I'm making it sound like it was all me. It wasn't. Um, uh, I, my driver on my first trip in Kenya, Mike Matuku ended up being my business partner. We both worked for free. Um, And he really led the way to my understanding. Um, So I credit him for that for sure. Um, But we, we figured out. And then later on when we had a little bit more, um, uh, funding. We we did an actual study, and this was in twenty thirteen, I think twenty thirteen. Yes, um, and we studied on our own in Kenya two hundred broken water systems to to try to diagnose what went wrong, and we found that the top reason for water system failure was some kind of technical mechanical oversight, mm. um, not not like um, not malfunction, uh, but oversight. So that was either in the planning of the borehole itself. The implementation, which, as you know, anything can go wrong (laughs) when you're drilling and casing a well, um, or then, you know, proper maintenance. Yeah. Um, But a close second to uh, the top of the reasons for the water system uh, failure is that lack of community. um, Involvement? Not just involvement. Ownership? Ownership. They'll say ownership because that's that's what it is. But to be able to have ownership, you need a lot of information. And you can't really go into these communities once you drilled the well and say, okay, here's how you flip the float switch and here's how you check the the motor on the pump and then exit and think that everything's going to go great for the next two decades. (laughs) You can't just put a big piece of infrastructure out in the middle of nowhere and expect it to just run perfectly without guidance. Um, So we... So the model that Well Aware built then around that those reasons is um, we have a team of engineers and hydrogeologists now all coming from within the local region, which is so cool. Uh, we have more staff based in Nairobi than we have in the Austin office That's great. now, which is amazing. Um, and in Lagos now, because uh, that I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited about this stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, so so yes. Yeah, so and the we have the, the team of experts. Um, that handle the technical side of things. And we also have a community team. Um, so now we have three people who are dedicated to, and they're, they're East African, which is really important. And they're dedicated to understanding where the community needs training and then tailoring training and communication and impact measurement around what the community input is. So we're not putting any kind of template solution on the technical side or the community side in any of these places. That doesn't work out very well. So there's a lot lot of thought and legwork and recon that goes into every single water system. Um, And now we have more and more every 
day. But as our team is growing and our systems are in place, um, it's still going really well. However, (laughs) this is my segue, Um, because we do not want to lose those relationships with every single community, we don't want we don't want to go back twenty years later and find out that a fifty thousand dollar deep borehole on solar power just stopped working and we didn't know you know yep. years years later. Um, so, but because of team bandwidth in country and because of um, the expense it is to drive around these regions, I mean the fuel costs just keep going up and up and up. Yep. You do one mileage reimbursement for for a trip from Nairobi into the bush and back, and that's a three hundred dollar bill just for one trip. So <laughs> we 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 decided that with the exponentially emerging technology available in these regions, even better there than here in some regards, Wi Fi oh, yeah. connectivity and mobile phone availability. And we have this expertise, and so why don't we just send all of this ongoing guidance and maintenance, you know, reminders and even diagnostics on water wells into the hands of these people already holding the mobile phones who are using the well? Because that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, the people using the well, um, I don't want to say should be accountable for the maintenance. They want to be accountable for the maintenance. They want that information. They want the guidance. If their water system goes down, their main source of livelihood is gone. Yeah, they're not not motivated. They just need the tools. So, yeah. so we built an app. <laughs> oh, it's great. We uh, we built the Well Beyond app. It's a separate enterprise so that we could leverage investment dollars and scale more quickly because it is licensable to other NGOs. Great. But it's sort of built and born out of the work of of Wellaware. Wellaware already uses the app. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really unique. I mean, because before there was Cash App and Venmo, like mm-hmm. everyone in Kenya, Uganda, Congo, they were just sending money to each other yeah. all the time, back and forth, back yeah. and forth, getting paid that way. In Pesa, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. So it's and we we don't yet facilitate uh, mobile uh, uh, mobile banking. Um, but we plan to in the future. Uh, right now, the app itself—it's a front. The, the, it's a native app, um, and it does regular maintenance reminders depending on the type of water system it is. Um, you can open up diagnostics. You can send a support ticket. You can do um, uh, remote chat support. Yeah. It all works offline except for the chat support. It has to sync yeah. when you have data. Um, and then you—we're co- also programming in um, trainings and then our impact measurement that we do every year. Um, and then, so there's an administrative dashboard that we can pull up and see all of these things happening um, within every single project across each region. Yeah, not even just mobile banking, but the uh, like WhatsApp was more popular there than it was Huge. here. And yes. their yeah. modes of communication whenever they're out in the bush. Absolutely. They can send videos that way yep. easier than yep. they can like FaceTime. You exactly. Know? Yeah. It's it's easier for them to open up an app and, and take a picture and, and send it across the, the planet than it is to fill a form, mm. get on a boda boda, pay for the fuel, run yeah. it to town, find yeah. a print shop, yeah. you know I mean? yeah. scan scan in the documents. Right. And, and, email. and that's expensive yeah. too. So time consuming. Yeah. So we're we're really excited about the potential for the tool. Well how I mean I I know that through the process that kind of oversight during it like small mm-hmm. little changes like really having accountability there yeah um because there's been so many wells i've seen that oh man they built this water tower and they didn't plan for whenever a big rain was going to come and how heavy that is mm-hmm. and how little they're 
their their base is yeah. for holding this thousand pound uh, well tank. Yes, yeah, le- yeah and it crashes. crashes down. <laughs> like, oh no! That all that all that work, all that yeah. all that money, uh, yeah. all that you know, and and then it just failed because of an oversight. What's yeah. um, yeah. We have a few different ways of implementation, but what's what's maybe your your go-to and then some backups or things that you guys mm-hmm. see that works. You mean project types? Yes. Types of systems, yeah. yeah. So um, we always start with uh, each community um, sending us a project request form that's available everywhere, um, wherever we have a digital presence, most often through Facebook. Okay. Because, you know, yeah, there are... Yeah, that. Yep, there are... There's, there's not the... I saw a meme the other day, like I'm I'm too young for Facebook, I'm too old for TikTok, I'm I'm uh, not not pretty enough for Instagram, <laughs> not this or that or whatever. But there, yeah. everyone uses Facebook. Everybody. everyone's on it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So um, we start with a PRF, and from there, you know, it, it's sort of like a, a process of elimination because we're always aiming for a deep borehole that's just going to yield the most water. Mm. Um, Usually won't require any kind of water treatment, um, but you know, as as you know, that's always that's not always um, the best solution for various reasons. Uh, most often because um, uh, the water is uh, we can't really see it very well in our hydrogeological surveys. It's um, too deep to really identify where the high yielding aquifer is, or it's a, a a fractured formation, and it's going to be really risky to drill. So, you know, if we're looking at a thirty, forty thousand dollar investment for the, these communities, we want to make sure that we're starting out with the right solution for them and the geology that they've been, you know, living on. So, um, we won't always drill. Only about fifty percent of our projects end up being deeper holes. Um, from there, we explore any kind of um, natural spring water. It's rare, but it happens. And then yeah. we preserve that spring and we do pipelines. Um, um, and then rainwater harvesting with ultraviolet purification treatments. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're you? we're planning on doing, um, right now, we're planning on doing our first water reservoir. And the reason is it's uh, like two kilometers from Congo and Uganda, uh, Western Uganda. <clears throat> And we have three boreholes out there, but one community, it's the first time I've ever seen them doing, and this is in like kind of the uh, Renzori Mountains, but they are doing rock climbing to go get their water. Wow. And there's like 1,500 people that live there. And seeing the women and children and their feet scaling across these kind of cliffs almost, mm-hmm. um, that might only be 10 feet off the the bottom of the ground or 20, 30, 40 feet up. It's like their feet are wider than the the little ledge that they're climbing on. And there we're not going to get a borehole. We've, we've been trying and just, it's so rocky that that it's not going to work. So we're going to set up this water reservoir where they have the three boreholes, but in, um, in case of any sort of failure or anything like that, this, this reservoir will serve the other community and all the communities. And we're going to build a school, a hospital or medical clinic, like level three health clinic, which will have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, a dental suite, all this stuff. And then a community hub where they have a marketplace to where these actually four communities can, can all come to trade because they walk over two hours to get to, no one goes to school because it's over two hours. No one goes to the health clinic hardly because it's over two hours, but also the, the trade, the market is two hours away. So bringing it closer to them and 
this is our first time doing this all holistic approach of like every every spoke in the wheel. And so we have Project Cure that's helping us and Engineers Without cool. Borders that's helping us and cool. Conscious Coalition. And, and we're all bringing the experts in locally Perfect. and internationally to Great. make sure it's a success. But yeah. yeah, Water Reservoir is the first time we've been looking at this, but it was the best solution. And yeah. Engineers Without Borders suggested that. And then mm -hmm. uh, the Ugandan Engineers Without Borders team said, yeah, this will work. Let's do it. I want to come take a look. Okay. That'd yeah, be awesome. I, I've only been to Uganda once, and actually we're uh, strongly considering that to be our next active country. Great. That's one of the reasons yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you and yeah. like collaborate and, and and learn from you guys and see what we can do to enhance your project work. Um, but I'd love to see the reservoir. It's not off the table for us. Um, I think maybe where we have been working um, in Kenya and Tanzania to date, um, we have... Typically, either we've had a really good borehole potential in the pastoral communities um, or adequate rainfall right. in places where right. borehole won't work. We do have ad adequate rainfall there, and it's also the third solution. So we have a well, couple of the infrastructure. wells. Infrastructure. You need yep, infrastructure. infrastructure. Yeah. Rainfall collection. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So right. we do have 32 homes there that we helped build, and uh, there's plenty of, of roof so to, cool. to collect from. So I want to go see. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm really excited that we, we get to know each other yeah. now. Yeah. And so, well, to we're going to get more into well aware, well beyond, and how people can support. Okay. I know that um, anyone that can stroke a big check is awesome, but also a monthly donation club and yeah. people supporting you monthly is also huge because yes. that's that's just as big. You, know. you can plan, that's you can right. you can budget, you can scale yes. off of monthly supporters. Once you know what you what you're you know. You, funding is going to be each month mm -hmm. at least at a base level you can line up those projects you can do them faster you know you, you can be way more efficient with those donor yep. dollars so thank you for saying absolutely that. so for our <laughs> listeners i'd love to uh tell them to go to the website and join the monthly giving club but i don't want to to miss the opportunity to get more of your story because okay. <laughs> i would love to know because we've had so many, we've had incredible guests and, and you're one of the, one of the top of that list of oh, helping other love. people, right? Like yeah. putting love and compassion in action, yeah. giving back all that other stuff. Yeah. But what were some of the, the life's greatest challenges that, that you've had to overcome? Mm. Basically the podcast exists to, because we want to learn how to win this fight called life. What tools, tactics, techniques, strategies, just like you approach drilling a, a complex problem mm -hmm. and a borehole for a community that's going to help so many, what can we dig down into, drill into in your life that oh, you're like, man, this, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What, what can I say on this podcast? Um, well, you know, I did talk about um, the depression and anxiety, yeah. which got pretty dark for me. What ages was that? Different times. Um, it started appearing for me as a teenager, uh, about 15 or 16 years old. Um, when I was 17, it, it got really bad at one point. But this is an interesting thing. is like I never talked about it. I never even, I didn't even tell my parents what was really happening to me at the time. That's a me problem. I don't know why. I, I hope that young people who are struggling with this just talk to somebody yeah. about it. Um, because once I did become more vocal later in college, when I began to struggle again, got into that really kind of lower, dark place. Um, I did choose to talk to my best friend about it at the time, and that was a part of kind of getting out of that and figuring out, you know, new tools that I could use to stay out of it. Um, and then, you know, then too, um, 
one of one of my biggest struggles um, was, you know, not being a single mom. All oh, that's a daily struggle. But um, <clears throat> when I made the choice to um, not be with her dad, we, we decided together more or less, but it was just an awful time for, for both of us. And, um, and my daughter, Violet, was just a little baby. And so, you know, I, I had already started the work of WellAware. Um, it was still a fledgling young organization. I was still not getting paid, right? And I hadn't been getting paid for quite some time. I sold, I sold a house and I sold my car. I was like out of things to sell. Um, and, and this, you know, this baby was coming and I, I knew, you know, her dad and I knew that it wasn't right for us to be together because we were toxic and we were, we would sort of like feed each other's bad habits. But um, I knew that if we weren't, I would, luckily, luckily, lucky I have parents that would take me in. But I knew that we would need to go move in with them. You know, that everyone I've been telling about this great path that I've been on, you know, they're going to understand that like I'm broke. I'm a single parent. I'm living with my folks at the age of 36. You know, it was just an incredibly difficult, but then very humbling experience. Um, and now we live with my parents for five years, and that was also not easy, but I knew it was right for her and me. Um, and so I was able to then be what my baby needed to, me to be um, and build build this company. And so I made it work. It was absolutely not easy, but looking back, it was the right choice. Um, so even if something you you know you need to do to either get yourself on the path or um, something's going to be really, really difficult, but you, you know will get you in a better place um, at the end of that particular road, just... Um, I get asked a lot, you know, especially by young people, just be brave, right? Because you're going to make it through it. Knowing that you're going to make it through it and being told you're going to make it through it doesn't really help. Um, but uh, it's um, that pain, you know, uh, uh, like you mentioned earlier, it does really help to brighten the light. That contrast is so important. And then bearing that in mind and knowing that the light is coming um, is is helpful. I can say that in retrospect easily. No, that's great. It's it's the hope in the dark. <laughs> the hope it's in the, the dark. It's the hope in the dark. And it's unique where um, we, we've shifted studios today because uh, of a double booking, but we're in this and there's black curtains all around and then there's these two big bright lights. And, right. you know, for me, I thought of your daughter as one and then the other being well aware yes. and your purpose. Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I just got goosebumps. Oh, I did too, it's actually. True. Yeah. That's exactly and so, right. yeah. yeah, when you're sitting in the darkness, yeah. you know, looking for the light, actually, Amy and I can, can, can relate to your story. Um, Amy's been through two divorces. I've been through one. Mm -hmm. And I think Amy can really relate on the single mother part, although their dads are still there and step up and yeah. great guys. But we had, Amy just had her 50th birthday. What? Are you sure? I'm not sure either. I'm not sure either, but Thank yes. You. And we I'm had a, there. are you? Yeah. <laughs> we had it's such weird. a great time at uh, a place called Rancho Pillow and yeah. we rented it out for her and 28 people or 24 people, her, her friends and family got to speak like, you know, life into her and what, what I'm yeah. saying it again because of the light, but every person said that she was the bright light or shiny and yeah. different and all these yeah. things. 
But Amy, what do you think? I mean, we can talk about this in relationships or, I mean, taking those hard times to Amy's for me mm-hmm. has challenged me to step up and be better, mm-hmm. has called me up or called me out or mm-hmm. called me higher mm-hmm. um, and has really helped me. But I think for me, looking at the past, not that my partner or ex-wife was a bad person. We were stuck in these toxic cycles that yeah. were going to continue. Yeah. And so we had to break that cycle. Yeah. I think Amy's felt similar things to that. Yeah. I mean, each each time I got divorced, I had a child mm-hmm. in that marriage. And, you know, there's it's just such a, there's nothing like that to really challenge yeah. you yeah, and sure. your mental health. And you have to just find your own, I guess, um, mentality about it yeah, and say that not, doesn't make me yeah. bad yeah. or whatever it is so it's also when i learned to ask for help Mm. um uh in every way you know i had to ask my parents yeah take me in i had to you know i I had to ask for um a therapist and i had to ask him for help every day you know for a while there i was talking to a therapist every single day and i and i um i had to ask my my team at well aware with for patience and understanding and yeah you got to Ask for help. Now I'm really good at it. <laughs> Asking <Yeah>. for help. <laughs> There's a benefit, yeah. right? Yeah. You end up with wow. these yeah. skills that mm. maybe and, came from somewhere really strange. Yes. And through learning to ask for help yeah. for yourself, now you're able to ask for help for so many others. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. Give me goosebumps again. <laughs> this is a crazy podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'm and I think too, I'm able to teach my daughter to ask mm. for help, especially now that she's in middle school. Like you well, please tell me when you need help. And, and, and middle and, school sucks. Look at how different that is from what you said you wouldn't allow yourself to do yeah. whenever you were in teenagers right. or 17 years old. You yep. wouldn't ask for help from your parents or share. Nobody. But you're teaching your daughter at 10 to go ahead right. and do it. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I actually wondered about your daughter and how different your upbringings are, or at least your first five years. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I wondered how you see her life compared to yours and what you try to implement from your young life into hers. Yeah, it's kind of hard, you know. It's hard to replicate my experience, you know. Although sometimes I do fantasize about running off to Australia and going back. <laughs> I still have friends there. They take wow. us in. Um, but I, she is a very different human than I was um, as a child in a good way. I think, you know, she is so confident. She just came out this way. And, um, and funny. And everybody's her friend. Uh, she's just... Uh, you know, magnanimous, I guess, as a child, as a human. But I, I have to stop myself from thinking that she's spoiled and privileged. And we live in a tiny condo. I'm talking about a thousand square feet. And we have two cats, a dog and a turtle. So it gets oh. a little crowded. <laughs> we have a tortoise, <laughs> a dog and a tortoise. No yeah. Cat. But I, I, I have to stop myself because this is just how she's grown up. And I, I, for, for, all of her life, I have thought, I just need to get her to East Africa. To but see. I didn't. I yeah. didn't. Well, it's expensive, you know, yeah. and um, I'm always so focused on work and doing 16-hour days when I'm there. But finally, I pulled the trigger, and this past summer, I brought her with me, and she was incredible. She was mm. amazing. She fit right in. She... She, I could tell that she was experiencing it for the first time in a very different way than than I did, and I sort of let it happen. I really backed off and kind of let it happen. Um, so, I, I now I'm going to bring her every summer, but I just n- no question. She loved it. I loved having her there. It worked out great. But um, 
I do think that that has helped her understand how fortunate we are. Mm. Um, And that, you know, her friend has a huge house. And instead of, you know, asking why we don't get to live in a big house, you know, she's telling me now to turn off the faucet if I leave it running. Uh. (laughs) So it is, it's, it's clicked for her at least in that way. And I want to make sure that she's on the path that she needs to be on. I'm, I'm, Mm. I'm, I don't, I try not to have attachment to her taking a similar path that I did. That'd be kind of nice. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, that summer trip, it's kind of like the reminder that human beings can be so happy with so little. That's just exactly the point. That's what it is. You add on all these other layers that we deal with here, and we have we have so many problems with everything, but you remove the layers and, you know, you're still the same human. It's almost like not having the layers allows you to just be yourself mm. and love your family. I mean, as long as you have clean water and an education and, yeah. um, you know, somebody who can take care of you as a child. But with those basic things, that's the recipe for happiness. It's it's not the fancy cars. and Not that there's anything wrong with that. I right, used to drive sure. a BMW. It was lovely. I had yeah. to sell it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because one of Amy's passions is helping people find their voice. And she mm. does that with her own podcast, which oh. maybe that should be a great guest for your show oh. from all your great question asking, Amy. But, um, you <laughs> know, let me know. <laughs> yeah. but it sounds like through even maybe through my divorce, but because Amy helped me start this show um, and I'd been asked for 10 years to start a show and wow. I said no every time. Um but do you think through maybe both of y'all's perspective, like going through the divorce, maybe you found your voice and now you're helping others find their voice? Because you're advocating on behalf of so many people, yeah. women, children that don't have yeah. a voice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for, for me, I think. And um, and my daughter's dad and I were never married. We were engaged. We didn't get to that point. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely, I found my voice. And I had to find my real voice. Mm. And, and not the voice that I had created for myself up until then. And that was a lot of pressure, too, for me being, you know, like I said, like on this career path and, you know, vocalizing things were not true for me. Um, and so kind of being forced to find what my voice really was, um, was incredible. Um, and yes, now I do. I do use my real voice and I have it. What was the difference you know, I uh, putting for for lack of a better term, like putting on airs um, and pretending to be excited and pretending to be dedicated about uh, my job. Um, uh, when I moved back to Austin after working at a firm, law firm, or securities firm in Dallas, I worked at a law firm in Austin, and I would just tell everybody, "This is so great! I'm so fancy now. I just met Barack Obama. He was running for senator at the time, you know." And I'm like, but and that that part was cool. But I was uh, not. I was not. I was not nearly as excited as I said I was. I did was not looking forward to these things. I was. It was hard for me to get out of bed in the morning to get myself at the office. Um, because I was lying to myself and everyone around me. Wow. That's interesting, too, from a perspective of, like, saying it out loud and trying to, you know, make it real. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Versus really tuning into what's what's real for you. Yeah. And at the same time, my body was was rejecting all of it. You know, my, my, you know, depression and anxiety manifests physically you know with you know fatigue and my body was telling me that it wasn't right I just didn't know that i would need to listen yeah. 
Let me ask you this, because I heard a study recently that 85% of the American workforce Mm -hmm. is unengaged, unmotivated, uninspired. Yeah. Um, I also heard something like 60% or so of the American population feels indifferent. Um, and I think, uh, insignificant were, were the words. Um, yeah. so for more than half people walking around feeling insignificant or indifferent and 85% in their work feeling, um, unmotivated, unengaged, like mm-hmm. that it's not important. How do you, how do you think people can either find that spark mm-hmm. that you found, which I know an easy low hanging fruit would be join and support you guys. Exactly. Um, My first choice. (laughs) Yeah. But also, I mean, you found it and you had to be brave and you had to be bold and you had to sacrifice and you had to get out of a relationship. You had to go back home and and maybe you thought it was going to be five months or six months and it it was five years, (laughs) but it's led you to where you are now. And I think that I just personally feel like the world would be completely different. Every person would already have water Mm -hmm. if... We focused on it kind of similar, but I thought this before COVID and Mm -hmm. the response worldwide response to it. But when I was in Africa, I lived there for a year. I've built up over two years there now in the last Mm -hmm. 10, but when Ebola happened, I was there and then I saw the world respond to it Mm -hmm. from there. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, like this isn't even a thing that's truly going to spread like wildfire, but there's 3 million people a year dying of dirty water. It's like we could end this thing if people just weren't, quote unquote, (laughs) ignorant on it. And I don't mean ignorant like they're dumb, but they just don't know about it. Or indifferent once they do know about it. You read a stat and you can forget about it or you hear about it Mm -hmm. and it can go in one and out the other. But when you get there, when you see it, whenever you hold that child and you feel their body change from hydrating, you just will never forget it. Yeah. And so, yeah. fighting back tears at the moment, but yeah, you, but you're right. Um, and I, back to your question about all, 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 so many of us walking around and feeling that in, insignificance, and um, I don't know. There's, there's a word I, it's not coming to my mind, but it on we, but, it, but, it, but it's like more than that. It's um, that you don't have any power of your own as a human. And um, I talked to a lot of people who, ex- who expressed this to me and, you know, they, they look at my journey and say, you know, how do I do that? You know, how, how do, how do I get that, that moment and, and build that path? And I think, I, this is my personal opinion, but I think I'm right. <laughs> I think <that laughs> we are designed as human beings to help and support each other. Exactly. We are. Do you, you, um, you know this the Ubuntu word? Uh, yes, but please go ahead and share. Yeah, I've got a tattoo on my forearm that says Ubuntu, and it is. I think it's a Zambezi word, but it's it's understood across East Africa, and it means I am because we are. Mm-hmm. Um, that is humanity, and I think that we don't. A lot of us don't know that, or we've forgotten about it. We've started focusing on the wrong things because there's so much available to us now. Um, 
But we are designed to help and support each other. And if we're not doing that, there's going to be an emptiness. And I I have never talked to a single person working in an organization like ours or who has donated or come to volunteer um, or just helped me write thank you notes. I've never spoken to someone who said, man, I really wish I didn't do that. <laughs> Everyone says, I I feel better now. I've, I just I, my, my day just got brighter. You know, I I sent a, a friend a picture of a water well he helped to fund yesterday. And he said, you really just made my month. I was having a really bad day. You know, yeah. business is off rails. But now I, I feel better as a human being. And and but it can be as small as helping your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, right. Or checking in on an, an elderly friend or, you know, making sure that you're. Um, in correspondence with a friend who's suffering in some way. But we're designed to do it. If we're not doing it, we're going to feel like something is lacking. And I think that's at least a very good step. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I I think I can relate to you where people are saying, oh, how do I find that? Or people that say, I mean, this is a little bit more sad, but they'll say, oh, I could never do that. And it's like, well, you're looking at what's happened after 10 years. <laughs> like you're looking at our our like uh, second, third quarter whenever you're yeah. you're just getting in the game. And so just start oh, somewhere. Yeah. 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 Start start somewhere. Start yeah. small. Just have your head on a swivel looking yeah. to make a difference wherever you can. Yeah. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your own home. Yeah. Maybe it's at your school or workplace or whatever. Yeah. But just start somewhere. Yeah. Do something. And then it can start to grow from there it will yeah yeah it's a seed and you plant it and it it can't help but grow yeah Yeah. absolutely wow well this has been really really great and i'm really really thankful for my favorite podcast so far don't tell really okay (laughs) (laughs) but what would you what would you say for people that i don't know i think so many times we have these limiting beliefs Mm. and we count ourselves out Mm-hmm. And someone might look at you and say, wow, she's done this and she's done that. And, mm-hmm. and whoa, the normal is 60% failure, but hers is 100% success. And mm-hmm. um, someone might be even thinking they couldn't do what you do. Or maybe someone's thinking they know what their purpose is, what mm-hmm. their passion is, what their calling is, mm-hmm. but they haven't pulled the trigger yet. Mm-hmm. But to start and to allow yourself to almost like uh, tend to that fire or like put some kindling yeah. on it. And how did it start to grow for you where once you started speaking it out and saying, I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. um, you started getting some real traction. I did. Yeah. I'm a very stubborn person. Okay. And <laughs> in this way, it has started <laughs> Amy me. just looked at me and laughed because. <laughs> <laughs> You're stubborn. <laughs> My daughter is too. And you should see the two of us alone together. Sometimes it's, it's pretty interesting. But um, I uh, push it. Perseverance um, is uh, it, it's an interesting word too, because. It's, you know, you commit and you and you keep pushing regardless of how hard it is. I, I, I kind of have to say, like, in in order to give up, like, do what I did and, and sell my house and my car and still be a single mom without income, you know, I had to have some kind of safety net. Um, so I don't want people to see that and say, well, you know, I, I could, a single mom, I couldn't do that, right? I don't, I don't have that safety net. Um, but, you know, there, there are avenues and again going back to asking for help and so I've I I am so I'm so honored that now I get to mentor young uh, young people mostly women but even some young men um, and help them find find the dots and help them find the resources and the plan and the path and for me personally even 
with my safety net, I didn't have any connections to resources to figure out what I, how I was going to do this. I just, I would, I would read the local paper every day and I found a hydrogeologist one time and I called him up and he agreed to meet with me. And then I went to the meetings in Victoria, Texas for their water council. I can't even, like I did some crazy stuff, you know, because I just, I, I knew that I, I knew what I needed to find out in order to do what I needed to do. And I was throwing darts, but if you, if you're persistent enough to look in all the places you know that you should and be open to the information that you're receiving and with each, you know, with each meeting I attended or, you know, person I called out of the blue, you know, the path became a little bit clearer. Um, and so it is just a lot of trial and error. But if you have a clear vision, it doesn't have to be a path or a five-year plan. Who knows what they're doing in five years? But a vision and, you know, you're working toward that, just keep Keep doing it. Hmm. Just keep doing it. I could have given up a lot in the first couple of years of Well Aware because it was not looking like it was going to work out, especially when I got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. But I just kept looking, and and then it came together. Yeah, kept looking, kept kept swinging, kept going to to the plate and, and taking <laughs> big swings. I like that. What do you think is one of your favorite stories that has come out of Well Aware or the work that you do and the passion and the vision that you set? Maybe you could say it this way, where – what is kind of either it's your personal vision or the vision as an organization, like what you hope to obtain or where you're headed. Mm -hmm. And then from that, maybe you can match it up with a story that like kind of embodies or encapsulates oh, wow. the vision. That's a big question. I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I just came to me. I, <laughs> I need to take <laughs> notes. Just off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think... Um, Let's see, you know, and, and two, like my vision hasn't necessarily evolved over time as much as it's um, bit refined, mm. um, it, especially now that we have um, this this app to help with the maintenance of water systems. Hey, you probably had no idea about that 10 years ago. Right? I don't know how to build an app, <laughs> <laughs> but I found people who do. Yeah. Um, but I I want to, this is going to be similar to yours, but I, I want to change the way that these water systems are are done in these regions, full stop. A lot of that has to full do... Full stop. Yes. <laughs> uh, a lot of this has to do with the way that donors and supporters and general public is educated here. And there's too much information out there that once the water's flowing, it's done. And everybody, you know, calls it a day. Um, but then there's a lot of work... Literally washes their hands of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And never didn't even look back. What's that? But you know, organizations like like yours and mine, we also we have a responsibility to talk about that, um, to educate our own donors um, every now and then in a subtle way, in a gentle manner. Call it out when you see it going, you know, wrong, um, and then collaborate more. Yeah, right? we really got to share some more information. And I have, you know, I have visions for the for the app, the new the new tool too, to connect NGOs in this way too down yeah. the road. But that's incredible. You're basically inviting people in, saying this is what yes. we've done, but we're inviting you in. Yes. And I know whenever I started, it seemed like. Um, you know, I, it seemed like everybody needed me to be part of a big NGO um, to even take a meeting. Um, yeah. And I was like starting yeah. and I'm like, well, this, uh, no one's there. I got to go. And uh, <laughs> But then it almost seemed like people were pretty guarded oh, yeah. um, or walls up or, um, you know, not, not willing 
to Protective. be open-minded and, and collaborate. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm really excited about this project we're doing now because there's it's all about collaboration and finding the experts to yeah. to teach and train and and empowering make sure it's sustainable. Yeah. But that's that's really unique. And then so from from what you've learned and the, kind of that vision and how you're kind of redesigning how it's done. Well, because I think for context for the listeners, if, if, mm -hmm. because we're talking and we, we have the experience and we've yeah. seen it and everything else, but I think the traditional model mm. for NGOs in the water sector, um, I would say I, I used to call it the show up, blow up and blow out technique where yeah, you, right. you arrive uh, with a parade, oh, uh, you yeah. throw a party, yeah. uh, you get your pictures and then you kind of peace out and, uh, and move on to the next one. And, yeah. and some of these organizations have such big budgets, such high quotas, mm -hmm. um, so many, uh, metrics to hit that, mm -hmm. that they, that they almost are set up for failure because their donors are expecting them to get to 5,000 wells this year. And if they only got to 4,000 or whatever it is, right. Um, too high of a number. Yeah. To really have the implementation that teaches, trains, and yes. equips implementation, and then the follow up, the the, the yep, maintenance. But 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 you're you're nail on the head here about this and and the budgets and delivering information to donors or funders or grantors or holding them accountable. Um, but why why are these metrics not about those results over time? Mm. Right, like that. There's a, a whole evolution of thought and education that is going to come from our conversation right here today. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, the, the metrics, and there's a standardization of the metrics. It's one problem. But also the metrics need to be the performance of this infrastructure at least five years later. Mm, yeah. well, you know, when you, you've seen this, and I see it too much, it's still heartbreaking. You'd think I'd get used to it, but these broken water systems— mm -hmm. That, and where you talk to the communities and they you move, move to their families and they started businesses and then it breaks and the NGOs know where to be found and they're worse off than they were yeah, before absolutely. you got there. And at five years, the, the hope and the goal would be that, hey, this well was serving, this water source was um, serving 1,500. Mm -hmm. But five years later... Mm -hmm. Uh, we had to drill another or two, and now it's serving 10,000, 15,000, right. yes. or something yeah. like that, where it's grown over because five years developed. instead of down to zero. Because it developed. Right. Development is real development. Infrastructure, yes. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Wow. So for your heart, your personal story, in those moments that you've wanted to, maybe you haven't wanted to quit, but where maybe the average person without this calling that sacrificed this much would have quit. Mm -hmm. What what kept you going? Maybe there's a story you've held on to. Maybe there's a a moment. Yeah, um, I still think about the little girl on the drill site every yeah. day. Um, she just sort of lives in my heart now. Um, I also there's another story too, which goes back to to when I mentioned my vision being refined over the years, and when I felt like if there were a time in the past you know, 14 years that I would have quit. It would have been when I had my daughter. Um, but, and so what happened was when uh, she was born a couple of weeks early. And so my team um, of, you know, volunteer engineers and hydrogeologists were in the field on a drill in Kenya at the time. Um, 
And um, so they couldn't reach me for a couple of days. I was in labor. Um, when I finally uh, got to talk to them a, a couple of days after Violet was born, and I was up in the middle of the night, you don't sleep much at all for years. <laughs> yeah. I'm still looking for sleep, actually. Um, <laughs> me, and, too, me too. And I'm 17 and 13. I was so up tired. 17-year-old <laughs> just took a job that works on the weeknights that she doesn't get off till 11. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> she has to stay up until she gets home. And uh, at least text. It's, sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Side uh, Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Kids, man. But, um, but so I was, I was up in the middle of the night. I had her um, I was I was breastfeeding her, and my team finally got to call me, and they were on the, like, "What's going on? You know what, what happened?" They were drilling, mm. and they said, "We just, you know, we just hit way more water than we we thought we were going to hit. It went really well, things are great." And so I'm on the phone with my team on the other side of the planet, and I'm holding my baby, and she is, you know, getting her nourishment from my body, and um, goosebumps again, but I realized in a very similar way in the moment on the drill site that I got it. All of a sudden, the the, the, the pain that mothers feel in these mm. communities and the worry is not a strong enough word, but it is torment knowing that what you're providing for your baby might kill them or you may not have what you mm. need to provide for your baby. I, I couldn't really even wrap my head around it until that moment. Yeah. So that changed. Yeah. You uh, just reminded me of a story. Reignited my fire, I yeah, guess. Yeah, reignited. Yeah. Yeah. So one one of my favorite ladies is uh women in this world is a woman named Mama Mariamo. And she was one of our I think our third or fourth well that we drilled. Mm -hmm. And she lost five of her seven children due to waterborne disease. Five of uh -huh. her seven children. Mm -hmm. And uh after this I can show you some pictures where a before and after. Actually, that's on my computer, not my phone. But it's um, it was the worst water source I've ever seen anyone drink from. Yet Miriama was blind, um, so she couldn't see it, um, but she knew it. She still knew it was right. was, was it was stagnant. It had yeah. green moss or algae. I mean, the it was the, yeah, yeah. And you had to you had to move oh, it out God. of the way to fill up your jerry can. And since she was blind, she was dependent on other people to provide her and her two children, wow. small children. Oh with with water every day um and so that that moment for me I, I have a before and after picture of like the the water they were drinking and then like water from the well and it's night and day difference it's like this is what it's for and yeah. i've been to the world series and the super bowl and the nba finals and the biggest fights ever and i fought in front of tens of thousands or millions on mm -hmm. tv mm -hmm. and i tell people that the moment you see a village a community whether it's a thousand people or only a hundred people get clean water, the cheers and mm. the celebration, uh, the depth yeah. of joy. And it's not like a game they're they're celebrating the victory yeah. for. Like this is like the game of life or a victory yeah. over death that's going to bring life. Yeah. And they get to take the 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 medication to to fight waterborne disease yeah. and drink it with clean water yeah. instead of wash it down with dirty water. Yeah. That that instead of just going to allow them to survive like now mm -hmm. no they could literally thrive because they're getting yeah. the parasites yeah. bacteria out of their body yeah. and washing it down with a sustainable source of clean water the hospital that we're going to build or the level three health clinic the only reason it's not a hospital in uganda is because it doesn't have an or yeah. where it doesn't have an right. uh, operating room and do surgeries and is because we're building that in honor of a boy named andy bow and andy bow was kind of the 
uh, the moment of inception for or conception for um, for fight for the forgotten, and I didn't know about the water crisis, and I was holding a little boy named Andy Bo. Uh, he was in between me and his mother, and your story reminded me of this, like the nourishment. Mm -hmm. Because I remember seeing her, and this is a, a Mabuti Pygmy village, yeah. and we're sitting there, and so she's topless, and um, but you can count every rib. Mm -hmm. You can see every rib connecting to her sternum. Yeah. And uh, I'm cupping his little head and holding his little hand, and she's got her hand in her mind, and blood comes out of his ears, and he takes his last breath, or mm -hmm. he actually took his last breath, and yeah. blood came out of his ears, and he passed. Uh -huh. Well, she was sitting there now all alone. Her other son had already died. Her husband had already died, and now she was all alone. And that moment was just like, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just because of dirty water. Yeah. Um, and discrimination, too. They were denied hospital treatment. Um, just because of their tribe. But I was like, whoa, like letting that sink in. It was like I was blindsided. I didn't know about the world's water crisis. Right. And I was coming home to give my dog clean water right. that they're walking six miles round trip for. Right. Or I was going to use the restroom and clean water right. that they would probably walk eight miles to get instead yeah. of their water source of six miles. Um, you know, those moments just like they never, they never leave you. No. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm part of the fabric of who you are. Yeah. 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 I think it was real culture shock mm -hmm. for me. Um, yeah. and you said you're well-traveled and everything else. And I, 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 so I grew up in Texas. You have a very different story than me. And I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I remember kids in like geography class or whatever, and teacher talking about different States even, mm -hmm. And kids being like, uh, maybe sixth graders being like, why do we ever need to leave Texas? We got everything we need here. And I'm just like, that's a very Man. Texas yeah. thing to say. <laughs> right? We got everything. Yeah. This is the best place ever. Yeah. And after the travels, it, it truly broadened my spectrum of like what life is yeah. and what I need and yeah. don't need. Yeah. Yeah. For or sure. Or what I want and don't yeah. want and how I want to contribute and things that just aren't important. Yeah. I think it's, is it Mark Twain that said, um, travel is the death of all discrimination or something like that? I don't that. know. I Maybe, think I just watched Amy, that quote. But. No, you, Amy's going to look <laughs> it up so we can, we can talk about it. But what, what would you say that quote means to you? Yeah. Well, I, I think because, oh, in so many ways, but I, I, because we, um, yes. Yeah, Mark Twain. Whoa. Can you repeat it one I more time? I nailed it. Amy, read it one more time for us. So that way well, we quotes are, yeah, travel but, is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. That sounds much better. <laughs> no, yours was, yours, like yours. Yours was the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, again, like we, we, we tend so much these days to separate ourselves from other people. Mm. Um, and. And then we have this inherent sort of fear of the other and judgment because all we know is what we've been told or read or, you know, grew up understanding. But once you go to these other places and you you experience, it, you know, in, in a very small way, their lives and what they've been exposed to, you start to understand where they're coming from mm -hmm. or why why they're circumstances are the way that they are and then you know you you eat the food and you learn a little bit of the language and you start to just connect more to other cultures and then that connects you more to your our, i think our greater humanity yeah and 
Yes. And what <laughs> you were saying about, yeah, the, we are all, we all live under the same blue sky. It's one big neighborhood. Yeah. But when you said with well aware, um, you said it in some way that I, now I'm trying to relate it and think, you know, we have so much more in common than we do different, but you seeing that you being with them. Okay. This is how I'd set it up. My second time I went first yeah. time rocked. Yeah. Second time. It was like, well, what am I going to do? Well, I don't want to make all the same mistakes that I hear, mm -hmm. you know, are crippling communities. Um, so what can I do? And I went and I lived there for a month and it was like, people are like, what are your goals? What are you going to do? And from the second trip, I got the first goals for the third trip, which was by 30 acres of land that is theirs and yeah. two water wells on it that is Red theirs Red. and they can farm and it's theirs. Amazing. But the second goal was second trip. The four goals were live with, listen to, learn from, love them. But if I didn't do those first three, whatever way that I tried to show them love probably wasn't going to be sustainable right. or long lasting. Or very real. It was going to be short lived or very or real. Mutual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was going to, but I had to live with them and uh, immerse myself yeah. in the culture to, to then listen to yeah. them and learn from them. Yeah. Because, but it sounds like that's what you did from the very start, even uh, creating the relationship with the driver. Yeah. Uh, what was his name again? Mike. Mike, Mike who mm -hmm. your driver became a business partner and yeah. then he was able to teach you so much. He's our project manager now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he oversees a staff of seven. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. So how much have you learned from listening? Everything. Yeah. A hundred percent. I knew nothing coming into this. Yeah. I had to listen. I had to ask and I had to listen. I had to listen well. I think it's, you know, especially in these communities where, where we work, Justin, it's um, conversation and community mm. is is a gold standard. And it, it's one thing to go into a place you've never been and you look really crazy to them and give them interview questions. Um, and then it's another thing to be invited in and sit down, you know, in the BOMA for three hours and have a tea go to a bush church mm -hmm. for five hours and be, just be there, you know, with their direction and guidance and gain that trust. And then information emerges and then the relationship begins to build. But you have to spend the time because that's, you know, where we're working, that's what they honor as relationship building and trust. And so yeah. that must be done. It's pretty fun too. Yeah. The tea's absolutely. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The tea is good. Yeah. Chai. Yeah. Always the right. chai. Yeah. yeah. Very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very sweet. Mm -hmm. um, well, Amy's uh, been wanting to go. I want to take her yeah, with been. me. Yeah, I have been. You've got to come. Yeah. Yeah. She's got to come. So maybe, maybe if you come see what we do, maybe we get to come see what you do. Let's plan it. Okay. That would okay. be amazing. I'm headed back in December after, right after okay. Christmas. Okay. Awesome. But I might take a solo trip well, with the founder yeah. of Engineers Without Borders in October. Um, oh, and then maybe yeah. we can go back. So, yeah. yeah. I, I like being there um, for New, Year New Year's Eve. They call it the crossover. Nice. It's more of like a spiritual thing than a party. And it's, it's kind of cool. So, yeah. What do you love cool. about that? Amy's all into spirituality. And yeah. So are you. Yes, but you had a ceremony for turning 50 where I she did, was I did. alone and so, writing down yeah. vow, vows to herself. It's the same idea, you know, that moving like forward. and something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What have you noticed about this crossover that you, you enjoy or like? 
Well, people just start talking about, you know, what they've learned in the past year. And it, it's not like New Year's resolutions. It's more like, you know, this is where we have come and it's a time to spend with family. And, you know, they don't even do Christmas the way we do. There's not a bunch of presents and stuff. It's just about family and food, lots of food. <laughs> um, and so it's people coming together and connecting and, and talking about how how more they want to become who they're supposed to be and what they're going to let go of. And it's lovely. It's much more lovely than midnight with too much champagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for me. Um, for us, Amy and I have been going through, um, I would say, a s sober journey, like sobriety. Yeah. Like for me, it's close to 10 months. And Amy, is it six, five, uh, No, four? like four. Four? Yeah. And Amy, Amy wouldn't have, I wouldn't say she had a problem with it. Um, I had a definite problem with it. And <laughs> so it's it's very good. And I've had it, I've had extended periods of sobriety, like yeah. four or five years, mm -hmm. and then fell off and then and then stuck in the cycle and then six yeah. months and then it's hard. back down and then nine months now. And um but for you saying that about champagne on, <laughs> on New Year's, like uh, there you would see that that you don't need that. No. Yeah. It's not even available. Yeah. Right. Not available. Yeah. And that you don't need it. No. That, that. But I yeah. think it's so common in our culture to just have a drink with, with any celebration or dinner or, yeah. Yeah. Especially in Austin, it seems. Yeah. Um, everything revolves around that. Law well, school revolved around that. Yeah, yeah, working at law firm revolved around that. Yeah. It was, it's too much in our culture. At Amy's party, we had we had a night, and then we had a pool party. And at the pool party, someone came up, and I said, "Oh no, I'm sober now." They're like, no, that's okay. I still have mushrooms. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, I'm like, no, I'm I'm sober, sober. Like all I'm of like, it. Oh, not Austin sober. Like I got weed. Sober. I've got mushrooms. I got MPA. Oh, that's hilarious. You just don't drink, right? I was like. No, no, no! Like I'm, I'm, I'm not doing any <laughs> that of it. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, for you, I was wondering because you said anxiety, and then you also went back to depression, and then you said something about drinking a little too much, mm -hmm. maybe in that season. Do you think that drinking contributed even more to oh, depression yeah. and anxiety? Oh yeah, it was a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. um, because I would get low and want to drink my headspace out of it, and then you know what, what they that. Uh, you know, excessive amount of alcohol does to your body for days, you know, just added, put me down a little bit deeper. And so then again, to the store, hmm. too much booze, deeper, feeling horrible, deeper. And then it is, then it gets harder and harder to climb out. Absolutely fed each other. Yeah. 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 It what took me until having a kid really, um, to really change my relationship with that particular crutch. Did you say you were 31 when you had her or what age? I was 36 when 36 she was 36 when born, you had her. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. And um, what are some healthy habits that you found that that help you, your mental health yeah. or even your relationship with her? Yeah. Um, well, we, I, my yoga is pretty sacred to me for, for physical health, but also just to kind of connect with myself and my body and set the tone for the day. Um, also, Violet and I, my daughter and I. Um, I love that name, by the way. You know, I do too. Yeah, yeah. She's not flowery at all, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it suits her. Um, Maybe vibrant though. Vibrant, she is like vibrant. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Um, uh, and also like uh, violet, the color is like the seventh chakra. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she. What is that? The seventh one? I don't know. Head? Crown? The crown? Okay. okay. There we yes. go. 
That's cool. Um, but she, uh, she and I, because we're stubborn, but we 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 each individually have a tendency to get frustrated or. Um, and, you know, um, not really understand how to problem solve in the, in the moment of things. And so we have a practice together, just to the two of us, um, where we, um, do, you know, deep inhale and exhale, um, and we invite good energy in and we shut the bad energy out and then we make the sound of how we feel. Oh, wow. <laughs> which can be really interesting. <laughs> um, and so we kind of do that together. And when she was younger, I would use it with her to kind of get her settled down and in her in her own body space again. And now she'll do it with me. She'll say, okay, mommy, <laughs> let's let's do it. And you make the sound of how you feel. <laughs> oh, that's great. And it's like, <laughs> it's surprisingly effective yeah yeah to to bring mm -hmm. energy back to peaceful wow yeah so that's great we do that together i wonder because i'm i'm not a parent and maybe for people that uh, are listening that aren't mm -hmm. parents what's been something that you've learned from parenting that maybe you can parent yourself better like mm. being a good parent to you you know what um that's a good question. That you wouldn't have learned without having Violet, you know? Like maybe there's something that when you knew your younger years, you didn't really yeah. think about. But through being a parent and yeah. loving her or teaching her, you're like, oh, I, I could I could use this for me. I This just hit me so hard and it was a life changer for me is um, uh, self-judgment. Mm. So... I've just been, and I still am, it, you know, I have to work on it still to, you know, to, till I die, I'm sure we, we all do, but um, so hard on myself for every mistake and yeah. uh, every, you know, accidentally insulting thing I ever said. And, um, and I, uh, when Violet was um, little, you know, I, and I had that really fantastic therapist um, and I, you know, I was, I was saying, you know, I'm so so mad at myself for this. Like, I just can't get it out of my head. Like, I'm a horrible person. And he said, okay, imagine your daughter, you know, um, at that same age. How would you feel about her if she did that same thing? And I thought, well, I'd forgive her. I'd help her forgive herself. Like, it's not that big yeah. of a deal. He said, okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> did you see what just happened? So now I do understand through being a parent and that new perspective that I can be easier on myself and I kind of need to be to illustrate to her that she can be too. Mm, that's really, really good. I mean, mm. thank you for sharing that because as someone who isn't a parent yeah. and uh, me being an athlete and a competitor, like sometimes I would think the more critical I am on myself, the better you'll be, the better I'll be. Yeah. So after a loss, I would always want to feel it as hard as I can. Me too. Um, and lean into it and not look away from it and and not give myself grace or anything like that. I, was, I wasn't necessarily a sore loser outwardly, mm -hmm. but inwardly big time. Same. Um, so that I'd really feel the burn yep. of it. But, you know, when, when a friend, a, a teammate uh, would lose, I'd be right there to yeah. to encourage them yeah. to be like, hey, it's okay, man. Like it was a it was a mistake you got caught, right? And uh, you can learn from this, yeah. and let's look at it objectively. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, thinking about that for how you do that for Violet and how that therapist came in and said the same thing. That's very helpful for me because I can oftentimes be very uh, critical, but grace, grace, and, space, yeah. and grace. We need it for ourselves before we can pr provide it for other people. I know that now too. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would you say that 
you saying that or sharing that was something learned, like a skill that was developed because I knew that, um, okay, I'll set it up this way. When I started Fight for the Forgotten, I was coming out of addiction yeah, and depression. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't continue to deal with it, mm-hmm. but, um, but I'd be so quick to give love away. Mm. But yeah. I w- even, even in giving it away to others, yeah. I still wouldn't give it to myself. Yeah. I would, it would like, people try to give it to me and then I would just give it right away to somebody else. Yeah. And I wouldn't let it actually sink in or I wouldn't love myself first. And Amy's really helped me a lot because she said things like, uh, you gotta face it all, feel it all so that the magic can happen or miracles can Feelings take place. Are hard. But, <laughs> yeah, you gotta love yourself like your life depends on it. Why? Yes. Because it does. Yeah. And until I was actually separated from society and working on myself, doing mm-hmm. that deep work, I didn't really understand the importance of like self-love yeah. and um, grace and all those things. But um, in the early days, when you have a daughter and you're starting this, did you allow yourself to like love yourself while trying to provide love for your newborn and and for the other mothers out there? Mm, gosh. You know, I probably got closer to it, but this is still something that I need to work on. It's a process. Yeah. It's a process. Yeah, me too. <laughs> forever. Um, because I don't know what, I don't know what it is about me or maybe humanity, um, but I don't feel like I deserve it a lot of the time. Mm. Or if I pause to take it in, then I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to miss the ball on the next move, you know, and Mm. I, um, but this is not healthy and it absolutely doesn't make me a full human to be able to tackle the things that I want to tackle in the world. Doesn't, um, I, I, I want to mention that one, the biggest thing beyond just my daughter, um, that has helped me get closer to this is, uh, my, my staff, Mm. Because I, you know, asking for help and pulling in people who know a lot more than I do. I mean, when I started building a staff and I was the boss, I didn't know what I was doing there either. And I really kind of relied on them to tell me how to be as a boss. And I needed to really keep my mind open about that. And I, I built a culture and a team around what these young people were telling me was going to, you know, make them feel valued and productive. And now it's a really remarkable culture. I think people who um, come to the team just they think they're never going to leave, you know, like this is the greatest place. How would you define or break down what that culture is? So it, okay, so it's this nurture and this, you know, uh, it's this space and, and grace and kind of meeting people where they are emotionally. So when I started to train myself to be able to do that and be less rigid with traditional Gen X 80s movie style leadership, you know, um, I realized that by providing, you know, them that space and grace and additional flexibility and less micromanagement, they were they were thriving. And I mm. thought, well, maybe I should do that with myself. You know, maybe that's where I can thrive, too. And so even over the past two or three years since our staff on both sides have been Growing, um, I am get. I, I've seen myself, and I'm. I don't. I don't often give myself credit. So I'm gonna do it right here, right today, Let's on go. record. But I've become a much more patient person with my team, and I think as a result with myself, mm. because what I what happens is I, you know, I, I'm 
I, I'm more of a mentor now to, to the staff at WellAware because we have an executive director. Um, and so I hear myself saying, okay, you got to forgive yourself. You know, what do you need to, to do, you know, to, you know, feel valued again? What, what do we need to do? What kind of time off do you need, you know, to bounce back from this? And um, in doing so, I'm starting to more listen to myself more. It's like, wait, what, what kind of time off do I need to bounce back <laughs> from this, you know? Um, and uh, so I'm kind of taking my own advice. Well, I that's guess. great. And I think it's working. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I'm really grateful. This, grateful. Uh, this yeah. was perfect um, for today, uh, the timing of it. And we could have had potentially something else. And then um, anyways, this was this was perfect. It got rescheduled and and. I think it was because the universe wanted it today. It conspired in our favor to, to so happen too. today. I got COVID for a reason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. But then, yeah. Um, Fine. yeah, this is awesome. Where can people find both? Well aware and well beyond. Thank you for asking. And find you to be able to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am pretty vocal on a couple of social channels about water issues and, you know, this community and uh, water system stuff. Um, so well aware, the NGO, uh, is wellawareworld.org and their handles on social across the board is wellawareworld. Well beyond, if you want to check into that, it's wellbeyondwater.com. Um, and then for me, my uh, my Instagram and my Twitter is Sarah Aware, S A R A H A W A R E. And on LinkedIn, I'm Sarah Nell. I have enough Southern name, Sarah Nell. <laughs> yeah. I really like it. Um, that's really great. I wonder, it, just to wrap it up, um, are there any resources that have changed the game for you or changed the way you live? Interesting. Um, that you would just be like, man, maybe maybe it's one of the, the young women that come into work for you that you're like, this really helped me. And mm -hmm. you've kind of given it to them as a resource. Any well, of our listeners? Yeah, yes. Um, you know, this is not any kind of like... Uh, you know, silver bullet. But I do, we all always now, anybody who comes to the team, board member, intern, staff, whatever, um, we have them uh, read the book Abundance. Okay. okay. Who's that by? Do you, you don't, uh, Diamandis, okay. I think. Um, Maybe we need to read that. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. It's a little bit older now. I think it came out in 2012. But but it's um it's a wonderful read that really changed my perspective of my work um, and my world and my attitude toward my work. Um, it's about um, a, a handful of different different global crises, but what is being done to tackle them. <clears throat> and it, it really offers, a, it gets a little philosophical, you know, it offers a perspective on approaching how to make a make a big change as well, which was really helpful for me. So it's informative, but it's actually a pretty optimistic read. And there's one chapter specifically on water. Great. That's actually the only required reading for us. <laughs> yeah. But they end up reading the whole book because it's a great book, yeah. Abundance. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then if you had to say for your life or for the life of the organization, mm -hmm. what imprint would you want to leave on the world or what impact would you want to make or, or what would, if you could, if you could put it on a billboard for, uh -huh. for people to see uh, while they're driving by or they're driving uh, on their commute to work today and they're listening to our podcast and you could say one thing or two things 
to them, what would, what would that be? What, what imprint would you want to leave? And then what would, if to sum it up, how would you do that? It's another, (laughs) it's a big hard question. I'm sorry. Playing a billboard. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. Um, No, no pressure. Just from your heart. Like what imprint do you want to leave? I'm just kidding. Um, I really, if I can, you know, in, in my on my deathbed, look back and say that I've accomplished something and be the proudest I could possibly be, it would be to have changed the water charity sector. Um, and so that, you know, all the all NGOs are doing this work, at, at least with the <laughs> the the um, the the effort and resources into creating systems that are correct for each community and are going to actually last a long time just mm. the way that we promised. Almost like a new standard where every new, organization is 100%. Standard. Yeah. I mean, how, do it, how, do it. how great would that be? I mean, you know God. all the resources that are dumped into our sector. Like if, if they would just go to water systems that would last, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then maybe in final thoughts, like a billboard of what someone could how they could live their life or how you want to live your life. Like the reason I asked this question is I've, I've only asked it maybe two times on the podcast, a couple of times, but I, I asked my grandfather this, um, before he passed and it was just like mm-hmm. a day or two before. And I was with him when he passed and I shared the eulogy at it at the funeral. I actually just mm-hmm. talked about this yesterday with Amy. Um, but, uh, but it was, it was really powerful. He basically said for him, he said, Love God, love people. Basically, is how how he wrapped it up. Was I hope people just know that I um, I wasn't a religious man, yeah. but I knew I knew God was there and that He loved me and I loved Him, yeah. and that I could trust Him. People say you can't trust God, but I can say the way I live my life, you can. Mm-hmm. Then he goes, and then just love people, yeah. whoever they are, wherever they're from, whatever color they are, yeah. just love them. Yeah. I was like, hmm, it's pretty good, love and love. Yeah, I agree with him. Um, I think too. I, I just I, I wish that people would understand that those extra layers that I spoke of just don't matter. Mm. It, it just causes more problems. And I, it's easy for me to say I built a life without a lot of um, extra stuff in my personal life by virtue of the nature of my work. But it just doesn't it just doesn't matter. Mm. It just doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve you. It just adds extra problems and just like the the basic humans that we are are is just that's what's special you know all the extra stuff is not just distracting from who we are and and what we're meant to be Mm. that's what my billboard would say thank you sarah Thank you for being here. This was great. I Charged me up. I loved this. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, people can go check out all the links um, at the in the show notes to, to follow you, um, to follow you, to follow your journey, your organization, to support. There'll be a link to donate in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, thank you for spending this time with us. It was my honor. Wow. Thank you. Hey, don't forget to send your Overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also, rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.